Hello, welcome to Stages. I'm your host, Peter Ayers, and I wanted to start this episode by sharing some exciting information. The Stages podcast will record live in Sydney for the very first time as part of the Ideas Program at the 2022 Vivid Festival. Engaging and informative, the show is a vital chronicle of oral histories from Australia's rich arts heritage. The podcast has featured 285 conversations thus far with creative artists and performers from a range of performing arts disciplines. This three-series event at Vivid will celebrate the contribution of three key elements vital to the art of telling stories. On Thursday, June 2nd, my guest will be producer Carmen Pavlovich. Thursday, June 9th, we welcome costume designers Jennifer Irwin and Julie Lynch. And the series is completed on Thursday, June 16th, when our guest is the artistic director of the Griffin Theatre Company, Declan Green. Tickets are free, and to register, just visit the Vivid website and search for Stages Live. There are going to be three fantastic conversations, and it'll be great to have you in the audience, watching Stages on stage. We look forward to your company. And now, here's today's episode. Hello, I'm Peter Ayers and you're listening to Stages, the podcast that converses with creative... Then the next block further down there was the Royal, then the Prince Edward was right opposite the Royal, then the Savoy. And we used to get fined if you were late for the half hour and fined for misbehaving on stage. Just for God's sake, do it better. <laughs> Sometimes that's all you can say. But when you've gone through that, you do get a lot of ego. And you go out there knowing that the one thing that's different every time is that audience. I didn't wake up until... I was in emergency. I was around the uh, world of actors as a child. Crawfords were needing a casting assistant. No business plan, no concept, no training. It's not something you could do now. Went to school on Friday, got on the bus on Saturday, auditioned for the show. They said, you've got the role. I never went back to school again. (laughs) Thank you. I've enjoyed being here talking about my favourite subject. Ego in check, me. (laughs) Yeah, it's a date. (laughs) It's a date. Hello, I'm Peter Ayers and welcome back to the Stages podcast. In this episode, we continue our profile of a family dynasty devoted to entertainment. The Kermons have produced five generations of performers who all represent seminal periods in the history of performing arts in Australia. All of this wealth of history and knowledge has contributed to a hybrid of styles and forms that continue to thrill, engage and delight the audiences of today. Wayne Kermond represents the fourth generation of the family and together with his wife Katie have developed and presented spectacular entertainment such as Candyman, Jive Junkies, the Kermond 3 Gen Variety Show and Spiegel-esque. They have also created the fifth generation of Kermond performers, their son Alexander. Both Wayne and Katie have carved their own celebrated careers in a vast repertoire of musical theatre. For Wayne, these shows include West Side Story, Seven Little Australians, Jonah Jones, Guys and Dolls and Barnum, which incidentally was the very first musical I ever saw, and it has had a lasting impact. An accomplished singer and dancer, Katie's show credits include West Side Story, Sugar Babies, La Cage aux Folles, Jerry's Girls and Evita. The pair have also steered a host of musicals as directors-choreographers. Evita, Mary Poppins, Wicked and Kinky Boots have all received the Kermond Golden Touch. 
Wayne and Katie recently concluded a triumphant season of We Will Rock You at the Empire Theatre in Toowoomba. It is a double act in life and on stages. They love the business of show, always regarding the art and the audience with the greatest of respect. They are indeed a dynamic duo. Bojangles and he danced for you In worn out shoes Silver hair, ragged shirt, baggy pants The old soft shoe He would jump so high, jump so high Then he'd lightly touch down He worked with minstrel shows Throughout the South He spoke with tears of 15 years How he's dark and he Traveled about He's dog up and died Dog up and died After 20 years he still grieved Said I dance now at every chance in honky tonk for my drinks and tips. Most of the time I spend behind these county bars. Cause you see, son, I drinks a bit. He shook his head, shook his head. I swear I heard somebody say I swear I heard somebody say That's Mr. Bojangles Mr. Bojangles Mr. Bojangles Come back and dance Dance, dance for me Wayne and Katie Kermond, how, how lovely to have this conversation with you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Peter. Yes. Um, especially, you know, we, we aired last week, we broadcast uh, the wonderful episode with your mum and dad, Wayne, and they were absolutely fabulous. Yes, yes. There's a lot of stories and history, I'm sure, that uh, would have been told. Um, well, there is in, in five generations of, uh, of performers. There is. You're number four, aren't you? I am. Yes, I am number four. Um, probably the first generation to get the the opportunity to say yes or no to show business. I don't know if Dad probably told you that. but With um, one arm behind your back. <laughs> well, probably a little bit. I mean, you know, Mum had the school and so forth. But, uh, yeah, look, I, you know, I, I wanted to be an aircraft engineer. I was fe- still, to this day, I love flying and anything to do with aircraft. So I got an apprenticeship, and but then knocked it back and, and went into show business. Was there an expectation that you would go into showbiz? 
Uh, to continue the, the family business? Oh, probably in the back of mum and dad's mind, there might have been. But I know for mum, you know, education was important. Um, and also, you know, she taught me how to dance and to sing and, and to do... And to look, I did Gypsy when I was 11, you know, for JC Williamson's at the match. And, yeah, that was certainly, for me, was... Uh, but I think as a you kid, were I grew June's up with farm it. boys. I was. <laughs> I was. Extra, extra. Yeah. Read all the headlines. You still remember the Corrie, don't you? I do, do. <laughs> Betty Pounder got me the gig, which was great. And Laurel Beach um, was our assistant choreographer. And that, I kind of got that by accident, really. Pamela Stevenson was Baby June, wasn't she? She yeah. was. Yeah, yeah. Fabulous cast. It was yeah. a, a great cast. Gloria Dawn uh, was um, playing Mama Rose when I, we first started in Sydney. And unfortunately, during the, the season, she became unwell. And then Tony Lamond took mm. over. But uh, Gloria, uh, I remember, she used to have to grab my ear and throw me into the car. I'd come on a as a sailor and then do a time step and then do a big finish and then she'd grab me by the ear and wrench me into the car and then we'd move on to the next. And she would literally do it. Like, <laughs> I remember my ear would... I'm surprised I've still got one. But Tony Lamond was a lot lot more gentle, a lot more gentle. But, yeah, she was a powerhouse, Gloria. Well, there, Gloria Dawn, Tony Lamond, too showbiz dynasties family dynasties also yeah well absolutely yeah, yeah, Look, we're going all over the place already with this conversation we are sorry yeah. <laughs> we started uh, and katie what were your career ambitions growing up were you um intent on showbiz or yeah i really wanted to actually my granddad was a musician he played in the uh, sydney symphony orchestra you know the first actually it was the abc orchestra before it became the sydney symphony and um i was really bad at school i was dyslexic and first of all, I was classified as dumb, and then they realised I was dyslexic. And by the time that happened, it was really too late. And I just um, took solace in dance and performing, and I performed everywhere throughout the house, anywhere I could possibly, and I was destined to do it. That's all I wanted to do. So I uh, left school at Year 10, went and did full-time at the old Scully Borovansky when it was around in Central. Uh, and then then discovered, went over to the dark side. I used to learn from a lady called Penny Watson, who, um, Peggy Watson, who was an amazing jazz dance teacher at the time. She taught people like Ross Coleman and, um, and uh, she got me a gig at the Silver Spade uh, after I'd finished my full-time RAD performing um, full-time for two years. She said, go up and, and see uh, someone at the Silver Spade and do this so I went up there and I went straight from a tutu to a G-string, basically, and never looked back. So <laughs> it's really what happens. So. That could be the name of your autobiography, from a tutu to a G-string. Yeah. That's right. It's a good title, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Why not? So you two, is, is there no business like show business? <laughs> yes, yes. You, you live and breathe it. And because, you know, we've both been in the business for well, 40 years as professionals now. Yeah. yeah and we've you, actually... Um, We've done both sides of the business, the, the show part and the business side. So, yeah, we have quite a, a big understanding of the ups and downs of it and continue to have that understanding of the ups and downs, continue to struggle moving forward. Hmm. You met in a show, didn't you? We did. We right? met uh, in, in West Side Story. Uh, I first actually, Katie reminded me of it, but I, I first met Katie when she was on the cruise ship, the Oriana. Hmm. I was actually... Um, dating another lady at the time uh, I just finished doing Barnum I think yeah she raved about you but I went and saw the show and I thought oh he's okay but he's not amazing <laughs> he wasn't like you know 
But anyway, it was a brief encounter. It was a the... brief encounter. Um, but, you but were sharing with, yeah. with um, that, that lady I was going with yeah. in the cabin. But then but a then few months later... A few months later, we auditioned for West Side Story here in Sydney when it used to be at the back of Town Hall. That What was the name of the studio? Keane's Studio. Keen's was studio. And it really was literally up and very dark and narrow stairway. And we did the, the cattle call, I think, during the day and then got called back. And I just remember walking up the, the staircase and I turned around. There was two ladies there and, and Katie was one of them. And um, speaking of G-strings, she just looked amazing. <laughs> no, this, well, it was the 80s. It and was I had the this 80s. amazing glow mesh top on. She did. And boobs that were just fabulous, you know, like... You know, when you're 18, you you know, they're great. And I was there going for Graziella. And your hair was all frizzed up, babies frizzed. And just, you had legs that right up your armpits. And I just turned around and, yeah, it was just like, wow, this is... Well, you were about my boob height. I was, yeah, yeah, I was a lot shorter. But um, but anyway, we we auditioned, we got in the show. And then from from there we met and... uh, and I didn't think it was going to be long term, though. I thought it was just going to be... Just a show romance. That's right, yeah. I thought maybe it might be long term. Anyway, here we are, almost 40 years later. What roles were you playing? I was playing Baby John. Uh-huh. And I was Graziella. Uh-huh. Mm. So you were different uh, different gang members. Oh, no, we were both the uh-huh. same. Graziella oh, is um, Riff's, Jet's, oh, Riff's girlfriend. Riff's girlfriend. Mm. Right, yeah. I like yeah. And I, yeah. yeah, my character's the youngest member of yeah. the Jet gang. So, yeah, you're right. It was, it was certainly contrasting in the sense of us, you know. It was that interesting production we did with... Um, Philip Gould played, yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. Yes, and, and Caroline was, was uh, Anita, uh, wasn't she? Uh, eventually, she, she was yeah. like the third Anita. Well, yeah. no, she actually she was she took over as Maria in Melbourne. Rosemary Harris was originally playing Maria, and I think she was a NIDA student at the time, that second year, and she auditioned and then stepped out of NIDA and then mm. did. But unfortunately, they released her at the end of the Sydney season. They had a change in the production, in the creative team, halfway through rehearsals. Yeah, and I think Caroline was playing Consuela, the blonde um, Puerto Rican. Mm. And then they moved Caroline up to um, to Maria. And then her and Philip became acquaintances and went to London and the rest is history. She played Maria. She did. Right. Yeah. At yeah. the end of it, by the end of it, she did. It yeah, was... yeah, just for the Melbourne season. Sure. We only yeah. played Sydney Melbourne, but mm. it was like a twelve-month season between. And was Sydney that new Melbourne. choreography? It wasn't the Robbins choreography. Yeah, it was That's Lee right. Chambers who yeah. choreographed it. Yeah, no, it was. I don't know how they even got away with it, really, but well, it was. The idea was that they had a lot of um, steel around the set, and they wanted people on rollerblades, and they wanted really creative stuff. A very eighties. Because it was going to be time, Graham yeah. Murphy was going to choreograph it originally, and who was going to direct it? Um, the guy that we did. Um, well, Ross McGregor directed Ross our production. Ross McGregor, yeah, did he? he, was he no, but you're right. There was a, a another director. Richard Werrett, was it? It could have been Richard Werrett. Yeah, might have been. That it was going to be incredible. You know what oh. I mean? And remember, if you remember, they used to have. Um, Willisy documentaries, yeah, and it was the first of those real documentaries on on how to audition. Was the West Side Story? You can still see it, I think. Yeah, I think anyway. it's on YouTube. Yeah, long that's right. I voice. have seen it a long time ago, and yeah. and there was a bit of competition between Peter Cousins and Phil that's right. for the role that's of Tony. Right. That's yeah. right. That's yeah. right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it was anyway. an interesting production. It was um, it was certainly a roller coaster journey. We survived, but yeah, there was a lot of turmoil during the production for what reason I'm not really sure but it was um, it was very interesting 
journey. But yeah. Katie and I moved on from there and here we are. Still. Rest, is, rest is history. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what do you love about showbiz? <laughs> you that space that's just there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the next question is, what do you detest about it? <laughs> it's tough, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I love... Now, I produce a lot and I love standing at the back of the theatre or the venue and watching people's reaction and watching... Because they start off and they don't move a lot. Then when people start to, to move, like laugh, they actually physically move and... It's fantastic and it's fantastic to see something that I think when you create it and you're in control of it, you're happy to watch it. You know how sometimes you're not always in control of stuff and, and you look at things and go, well, that's not quite right. But um, I really enjoy, uh, yeah, I enjoy the creating part of it and, oh, you know, the camaraderie of the business and stuff that goes on the stuff that goes on in the background that's, that's, in the wings there's, the wings. there's people in the wings that's there right. he is. it's dad making a cup of tea <laughs> yeah, in the wings what do you like about it Wayne? Uh, well obviously there's a lot to like about show business it's very addictive particularly the applause yeah, yeah. Um, particularly uh, I, I think you know, going from show to show and playing different characters it's constantly a learning process and it's constantly challenging but yeah look being on stage is, is something very special. Not a lot of people on this planet get that opportunity. And when you're up there, it's incredibly addictive. And you know what else is amazing was lately we've been doing a bit of um, directing, choreographing in a, a pro-am situation. And it was great to go back and see people do it for love. Mm. And you, when, and when you do it for a long time and it's your job and you start to just go, oh, I've got to go next gig, next gig, you know what I mean? But just to sort of embrace that and watch people enjoy it again you go oh that's right that's why i do it you know what i mean yeah. so yeah it's special isn't it i think that's now it's about giving back as well you know what i mean it's uh, particularly working and directing and choreographing and creating it, it's nice to be able to give knowledge back and experience mm. um from from what we have learned because there was a lot of people when we came to the business that you do you look up to and uh, you watch and you learn and and uh so yeah i never thought you know that would probably those roles would change but that's what's kind of happening now so i'm enjoying that mm. but there's no denying it it's uh particularly in this country it's a, a constant uh struggle yeah of knowing what's coming next and that's where i think katie and i have definitely become into a mm. of creating our own work we haven't waited for the phone to ring and that, i say that to a lot of young people you now you it's important that you do start you get creative you know, put your own cabaret show together. You know, write. You, you got to, you got to create your own work. You know, you can't wait for the the phone to ring. And they're doing that more, aren't they? Don't you think? A lot of young I think so are too. I think yeah. so. Yeah. Because of you know, work, it's yeah, it's the inconsistency which would be hardest. And I think it's the business side is really hard. Like the creating side is always fun. But it's that business to try and just break even, you know, like just to break even's amazing. And um, Wayne and I ride the wave. We, we put our own house on the line and we ride it and sometimes we win and sometimes we lose and, you know, and then you've got to kind of, you've got to, I think you've got to try and be as brave and as strong and as resilient as you were when I was like that 18 girl that went to that audition at West Side Story with the 
with the, you know, my boots hanging no out fear. would be fabulous. Yeah. No fear. Well, that's right. As you get older, there is a lot of fear that creeps in mm. because yeah, there's, there's more at stake, really, mm. isn't there? That's there exactly is. right, yeah. I think you also look, yeah. you, you, you also, um, when you're young, you don't have any fear of, you know, you just go for the next job. So, oh, didn't get that one. I'll move on and get the next one. And I think as you do get older, you, you do have a lot more at stake. And you also... Um, I find myself, I've um, for auditioning at the moment, I, I'm not very good at it. I used to be really good at it, but as I've become older, maybe because I don't do it as often, I'm not patting myself on the back, but yeah, I get quite nervous now of auditioning. I don't, I can't answer why, or that, but yeah, I think that's probably why now we, we do our produce stuff. our own work, so, so I don't, don't have, you know, have to audition as, <laughs> as much, which is interesting. And I've spoken to a lot of uh, mature performers who have said the same thing. You know, it seems to be a, a you know, bit of anxiety, a bit of anxiousness comes in as, as you become an older performer. But is, is part of that also because you have become Wayne Scott Kerman and there's an expectation on yourself that you have to deliver a certain mm. what people are expecting? Yeah, maybe, maybe, Petey. Yeah. Um, mm. Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. And... Yep, that's a very good point. I, I, I think there probably is a huge um, expectation of, of, of what I've done and what I can do and, and so forth. And it's it's nice being asked to do shows too, which has mm. been wonderful. Like the last probably 10, 12 years, the production company in Melbourne, uh, Packerman here in Sydney, um, Harvest Rain, you know, it, it's lovely to have been asked to play roles. Um, so I, I, I think that's a skill too that you that you need to keep up and if you don't you lose out you know but then you go having been asked you then go into those projects thinking can i deliver are they sure do they have they seen what i have to offer totally (laughs) totally you know when you see young people now and you know that and because you have one wonderful institutions all over the country you know if i had to audition at my age their age now i wouldn't get the gig i mean there's so many wonderfully young talented performers who are incredibly skilled multi-skilled you know mm. great musicians great singers great actors you know great dancers yeah but you can you've just got to be you've just got to be proactive in going no no, no i can you've got to get rid of the devil on your shoulder and go no mm. otherwise you suffocate you know yeah, and yeah a lot of it's a lot of it's forward. in it's a psychological game isn't it mm. totally totally mm. I, just, I just read harvey feinstein's autobiography and he was asked to play tevia in fiddle on the roof take over in the mm. broadway production and um, he said, yeah, okay, but I want to sing the entire score for the production, the, the creators of the, of the musical, so that they can sort of not get any surprises. You know, yeah. I, yeah, he didn't right. tell me it was going to sound like that. Um, but yeah, that's, that's, you know, a performer like he's well yeah. established and totally. still, you know, yeah. no, I'm not, I won't do it until you can see what I have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's interesting, yeah. isn't it? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it is that fear. And that, but that fear also is a double edged sword because it also makes you vulnerable, which makes you even more interesting as a performer and exciting and you know what I mean like if you were too confident and too dry it, that's what you deliver you know what I mean so well I know for me particularly and pro- probably the, one of the most exciting and scariest moments was was playing Max uh, Bialystok in the producers in Melbourne very short rehearsal period and then obviously short huge season role. That's but a huge role and, and you a, think a, it a great comic it was role for that role did you well when beautiful Ken rang, rang you me up. from Melbourne and uh, Ken Mackenzie Forbes Ken mm. Mackenzie Forbes 
and uh, I had done my first show with production company, which was Anything Goes, um, and then he rang uh, the, the beginning of the next year and said, look, we're going to do the producers. We'd love you to, to, to be a part of it and play the, you know, well, the role. And I said, great, so who's playing Max? <laughs> and Ken said, well, you. <laughs> I'm like, really? Yeah. But I, I'm, not, I, I'm not fat, fat, fatty. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought Leo, and then I realised, oh, maybe I'm not that young anymore either. Yeah. Um, but but when you're given a challenge like that, you, you, there's two ways to, you know, you either run the other way or you, you take it on. But the reason I say that is because Katie, for me, is is my rock, you know what I mean? It, when it's just not just company learning the lines, and but just the support of going through that, that process of rehearsing, the doubt, the fear, all of that, I come back and throw all that on the punching bag. She's the punching bag, you know what I mean? To, to, um, and without Katie's support, I would not have got through that journey. And I I can openly say that. And what's interesting about that from my point of view is I've learnt the script with Wayne, you know, everybody else. And then you go see the production, you're like, oh, you read it like that. Why is she reading it like that? <laughs> <laughs> a whole nother world going on. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> but yes, no, um, a mammoth role, that. I mean, it's, it's the mama rose for men, isn't it? I mean, yeah. you think you finish the show and then they give you that 11 o'clock number mm. in the jail. That's right. Mm. Yeah, betrayed. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it was fantastic. It was, yeah, look, you know, singing in the rain was amazing. Um, and then 10 years later to get the role of Max, which you never, you know, I never imagined that I would get, particularly in a, yeah, you just don't think of it. And when you get a phone call like that and you're given that opportunity, yeah, you just got to, you got to take it, it was and great. run with it. With Brent Hill, wasn't it? He played Brent Leo. was wonderful. Yeah, and Brent's in Hamilton well. at the moment yeah. and um, playing the king. And he played Leo Bloom. And he's a wonderful um, uh, with improvisation. And with my school of variety and cabaret, uh, of improvising and you know throwing things in and we had some lovely moments on stage where you know there were a line dropped here or something with prop or a set piece didn't close I think there was one night uh, one of the at the end of uh, I want to be a producer my character's off stage and then I walk back into the scene and one of the girls had shut the door on her frock but couldn't get the frock out yeah. of the yeah. door stuck. so yes yeah, she's stuck and then you know obviously there's the audience can see exactly what's going on the poor thing can't get a frock out of the door and uh and then there's you know we're both there <clears throat> what do we how do we deal with the situation do we move on pretend it's not happening no we did about 10 <laughs> minutes i think you know which which was which was great so brent went with it and and myself and and they're lovely moments you know that that you absolutely, and he was great. He was wonderful to work with. And again, as I mentioned earlier, there's a great talent. Mm. You know, I think Brent's mm. come through Whopper and mm. a wonderful musician, a, you know, and a comic genius. Genius, yeah. I love it when things go wrong. Yeah, I, you know, yeah. I think it's interesting. It puts you in the moment. Yes, it? It does. you're not on automatic pilot. <laughs> no, that can right. sometimes happen. Exactly, yeah. and a lot of actors can fear that, you know, and and do. And I've worked with with actors who just like to, mm-hmm. no, I just. See, we'll do what's on on the book and stick with that and da 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 and keep it moving. But I quite I embrace those moments, and I think that's because I have been brought up in a showbiz family. Break the fourth wall, let's play, yeah. and uh, and when those opportunities are given, yeah, I, I'll run with it. Yeah, 
I always say to ensemble people like that we work with or young dancers and they're like, oh, what's going to happen? Wink, don't worry. Whatever happens, Wayne's going to take full advantage of it. You're in great hands, yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah. you'll be fine. Hmm. Katie, what were the artistic influences in your childhood? Did you um, did you see a lot of theatre when you were oh, Not a lot because I was one of six kids. We didn't have a real lot of money, but my mum used to say the one of my brothers worked in the public servants and she used to say if he's bored up and that's how come I got to go to Scully Borovansky and learn ballet and she'd also say that and we'd go to the opera house and see the ballet and I just I just remember walking up the steps of the opera house with my mum like holding a hand and it was just so remarkable and then getting there and you know seeing beauty unfold um but I was also mentored by some really amazing uh, people like like uh, Peggy Watson, who I mentioned, who was this mad Scottish woman who used to um, teach at uh, Shaketti when it was at Central. And she used to come in with, with like um, ice cream, full tubs of ice cream and eat it and just get really cranky and go bright red and, you know, incredible. And then I learnt from uh, Ross Coleman when I was at the Zale Academy. And uh, I'd come straight from Bethlehem College, Asheville, so I was a nice girl. And Ross would sit there with his red wine and he'd bring in like a few drag queens into the ballet, into the jazz class and have a few cigarettes. And it was like, you know, I was like, oh my God, that's amazing. Um, so yeah, I was also uh, lucky to, um, to go and experience, I, I did, when I was at sales, we got to, um, to do the Sammy Davis Jr. tour and got to do the Peggy Lee tour because uh, Paddy Sales' husband, Pat Condon, was um, in business with... Ken Jacobson's. Yeah, Jacobson's, yeah, yeah, and they used to bring out all those names. So, we were so the you're Australian, a backup dancer. Yeah, yeah, we were the Australian content. You know when Equity used to say you yes, need Australian okay. content yeah. on stage. And uh, yeah, so I got to travel around on a few occasions and, and that's really what led me more into musical theatre and... You know what I mean? But also just... You did the Don Lane show, Katie. I did. I did the Don Lane show when I was... As a Tony Bartuccio dancer? I, yes, I was a Tony Bartuccio dancer. Right. And I'm not afraid to admit it. But when you say to people, like young people now, you say Tony Bartuccio and they just look at you like they have no idea. But yeah. <laughs> um, so I had a lot of experience and, you know, did crazy stuff like... Um, I was in the Black and White min Minstrel show before like that became illegal. And, uh, you didn't have to black up though, did you? Because I, I remember that the dancers remained. Right. Yeah, yeah. But we did open in Perth in January, and it was boiling hot, and all the boys had that makeup on, and we had on all the English costumes. And I just turned to look at Keith Hawley, who I was dancing with at the time, and it was just swollen down like that, like he was just sweating. Their pillow slips must have been putrid. That's right. <laughs> yeah. exactly right. So, yeah, yeah, but. Oh. But the, the career opportunities for a dancer were, were fairly limited, really, weren't they? You're a backup dancer or you're in musical theatre or... Yeah, that's right. And it was very sort of... Yeah, that's right. And there was um, those choices. I was lucky enough that I could sing enough to go and do musical theatre. And I was always kind of like not very good at being a commercial dancer per se because I, wanted, I was always a bit different, wanted to be a bit funny on the end of the line or whatever. So... Um, I really, I started off doing theatre restaurant at the old burning log. log with a lady called Joy Lawman who was, was. married to As, um, Tony Lawman's father. That's, That's right. it, yes. 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 His so it was all second wife. 
That's right. Yes. Yes, quite interconnected between the other kernels and whatever. But um, yeah, I, I learned. I, I learned a lot on stage. You know what I mean? Like now people tend to learn in more of a study situation and then they walk out prepared. Whereas I did Sugar Babies years ago with Eddie Bracken. Oh, yeah. Wonderful. Wonderful oh, production. Amazing. Yeah. And um, I actually got to deliver. I actually got to do quite a few sketches as the straight lady, which was fantastic. I mean, Rhonda Birchmore obviously was doing everything, but I got to do a few parts as well but every night we'd sit and watch um eddie he'd do this full um, monologue at the end of act one dressed as a woman and uh, at the end the gag was it wasn't it was pretty <laughs> normal but by the 10 by that time everyone was in the palm of his hand and i've never witnessed someone before um get a laugh and then just look and then get another laugh I'm sorry I'm late, but I didn't have any breakfast. Oh, that's too bad. I didn't have any pancakes or any orange juice or eggs sunny uh, side yes, up. All right, Eddie, well, sit down and we'll get you breakfast right after lunch. <laughs> now, you're just in time for your geography lesson. Oh, uh, now tell me, Eddie, where is the Queensland border? He's in bed with my mommy. That's why I didn't get any breakfast. <laughs> one when I came in. <laughs> well, let's hear it then. Mary had a little watch. She swallowed it one day. For miles the people came to see her pass the time away. <laughs> Though Mary tried <laughs> and tried <laughs> and tried the time just wouldn't pass. <laughs> but if you'd like to tell the time, just look up Mary's... <laughs> just look up Mary's uncle. He's got to watch. <laughs> like, just let that laughter roll in. Like, he really... And I find with Wayne, when I watch Wayne on stage and comedy, Wayne has a wonderful pace for comedy. He doesn't rush through life. It's all very gentle. So when he's on stage, he has time to listen, let the audience laugh back, then he gives back. And it's the same. And when I watched Eddie Bracken all those years ago, I was like, oh, wow. So you learn from people like that to have You were serving a wonderful apprenticeship. Yeah, yeah. that's exactly right. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Hopefully still kind of serving the apprenticeship in some places, but yeah. Did you say Sugar Babies? Oh, yeah, because... Oh, oh, you were together, we were together at that together time, right? We were. You we were a dresser at one point. I was a dresser. I, was, I had just finished doing HMS Pinafore, right. and then Katie was doing a season at Seagulls up on the, the Gold Coast, so I was dressing Ernie Sigley. Right. So, <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, so we went up after just, just to have a holiday. It was Mark Gogol and myself, <laughs> and, yeah, we ended up... Getting a job, and we went. Yeah, we'd love to, rather than sit at home waiting. Yeah. Well, so it was to work to to watch Eddie like Katie did 
was yeah. I mean, you know, for everyone who has doesn't know Eddie Bracken, look at every MGM film, yeah. and there he is. You know, he was fantastic. And Joan Brockenshire, what a tapper! Yeah, amazing. Yeah. And she's like, yeah, she was really out there. You know what I mean? Like, because she's quite dyslexic, she couldn't mm. read the script at all. So everything she learnt was just by heart from her crazy husband, who was Tommy Dysart. Yeah. What's the age? Tommy Dysart. That's oh, it. yes, um, the, the Go-Go yeah. Mobile. Not the Go-Go. G-O. That's it, yeah. Yes. Yeah, that was an amazing cast. Yeah, yeah. and Rhonda was incredible. And, and you were on a swing. That's right. We, yeah, that I was, was Actually, great... I was a pusher. Oh. I was one of the tall ones. <laughs> Showbiz. <laughs> Gary McDonald. Gary McDonald yeah. uh, did a wonderful uh, Roy Ream um, impression of Open the second act. Yeah. It he? was the last thing that the Elizabethan Theatre Trust did, I oh, think. Oh, really? Oh. Yeah. And it was just as that recession was happening mid 80s or early 80s. I think it was 87. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've had Rhonda on the show. She talks about that number with the pigeons that used <laughs> yes. to fly in and, and land on her shoulders and elbows and nether regions. And um, the wardrobe <laughs> department changed the. Um, the dry cleaning fluid one night and the pigeons wouldn't come anywhere near it. They just flew off into the... That's right. Because well, apparently they were trained to, to go to the light, the, the follow spot. Right. Yeah. But obviously this they didn't like the dry cleaning fluid and went yep. the other way. Yeah. Yeah. Quite remarkable. <laughs> oh, showbiz. <laughs> Hawker de Havilland, you, you start an apprenticeship there. You were, you were going to move into the, the airline world. Yeah. You were enjoying it. Yes, I was, yeah. So what's so powerful to pull you away from that? Well, I um, mum and dad uh, got a gig at the Grand Hotel, which was in Labrador. It was an existing hotel, which had uh, a variety 
um, performers uh, and live musicians, like live band and dancers. And uh, unfortunately, that venue had burnt down. So they rebuilt it and Dad was going to reopen the new venue. Uh, with a 12-piece band and dancers and, you know, wonderful side acts. And so it was at the end of my year 11 when I got the apprenticeship. So I ended, I used to come on with mum and dad and do a bit of a tap thing or sing a song. So we went up there as a holiday work because I don't know if dad ever mentioned that. We never went on holidays. Yeah. Like we, our holiday was working. Yeah. So mm-hmm. if we went to the Gold Coast, we had to work first, then we you know, during the day, we'd go, to the, be out, go to the beach, that <laughs> was it. Um, so that's, I, I guess I had an epiphany. I was 16, just turned 16. And um, I would do a routine with mum and dad in the first act. And the second act, uh, after the opening night, they sacked the follow spot operator. Young guy, I don't know what happened. I think he'd had maybe a couple of drinks and they got rid of him. So I follow spotted the second act of the show. And I think I was just watching and the realization, because uh, I'd grown up being in the business, you know, my great uncles and, and dad and my granddad and family, I just thought everybody was in show business really. And it was that season that I realized that I could actually, I could actually make a living. I, I, I could, it could be, you know, my future. It could be what I want to do. I'd learnt the skills, but I don't think up until that point I'd realised that mum and dad were actually making a living out of it as well. So um, I cancelled my apprenticeship after that. Uh, six weeks were up there. And I went back to uh, school until um, a job came up. Ronnie Balcom, who used to be a, a set builder, um, and he was an old, his parents were a slack wire act. Obviously they knew mum and dad. He rang up. I think on a, you know maybe the week prior and said look they're looking for a floor mech at the, uh, the Theatre Royal and um, I thought maybe Wayne they'd obviously spoken and mum and dad sat me down and said look you know if you want to be in show business you really need to learn all aspects so um, so yeah I, I took the decision and left school during year 12 and uh, finished school on Friday started work Saturday morning at the Theatre Royal and from that point, that's when I decided I, I wanted to be in show business. I went to do, I went to dance class at Bodenweiser and I learnt, um, then I went, so I spent a lot of my time learning my skills from my family, but it, at that point I decided that I should go and learn, you know, skills elsewhere. Yep. So that's what I did at that point when I was working at the theatre. And from that point, I, um, I think it would have been there about 20 months. And then um, Chicago, the musical, was playing at the Royal. And, yeah, beautiful Dolores Dunbar, Rod Dunbar, Nancy. Uh, a few of them had said that um, there was an audition coming for, for Barnum. And uh, you should go along with all your skills. So I did. I went down to the old Capitol Theatre. And about five auditions into it, uh, Robbo pulled me aside. I didn't know John Robbo, John Robbo as we all know him now. Um, and he said, we'd like you to come back this evening and read for, uh, sing for Tom Thumb. So, so I learnt the song and went back that evening and I met Bayok Lee and then they got me back the next day to do the dance and do some acrobatting and then, yeah, got the phone call from Robbo in, from Adelaide and 
offered me the role of Tom Thumb and I left the Theatre Royal and suddenly I'm in Adelaide rehearsing. Ladies and gentlemen, the world's smallest man, General Tom Thumb! I'm General Thumb, just come to town, Yankee Doodle Dandy. I've ate your scrapple, washed it down with just a nip of brandy. The mayor made me presents rare, the ladies did salute me. First rate I am, they all declare, and all my poses suit me. My success should open up your eyes. Don't judge nothing just by shape or saw. Ha ha ha. Bigger isn't better, taller isn't braver, stronger isn't always wise. A smaller isn't necessarily the lesser, guts can come in any size. Lady luck can favor, just a little shaver, oh, the one who's six foot three. Brains in any tussle, mops the floor with muscle, bet you're laughing glad I'm me. Ladies and gentlemen, General Tom Thumb's engagement has been cancelled this evening due to his command performance at Buckingham Palace. Bigger isn't keener, larger isn't bolder, higher might be low inside. When you need to lean upon a friendly shoulder, narrow's just as good as wide. See the mighty lion sitting there and crying, a bitten by a tightly flea. Mammoth was colossal, oh what's he now a fossil? Bet you laugh and glad I'm me. What's strong in folk may lag along in brains and heart. That handsome hulk might be a little abusemently, proven consequently. Though he shows his shoulders twice as big as boulders, if the brain's a tiny pea. When you're in the pickle, he ain't worth the nickel. Bet you're laughing glad I'm. Bet you're laughing glad I'm me.
So when you were working backstage on, on those various shows, was there a pull to, you wanted to be on stage or you were yeah. quite happy? Yeah, yeah, So there was absolutely. always that, that. Yeah, particularly Chicago, I, I, I think, because Geraldine Turner was in it, Nancy Hayes, Terence Donovan, and Pammy French, like, you know, the, all the thing show. that we, people mm. we grew up with, mm. Dolores, uh, and we watched and idolised Gary Ginevan. I mean, there were some wonderful Greg mm. Sims, mm. DJ Foster, some great names, mm. uh, Julie Tanner. They were all above us and they were people that you sort of watched. And here I am in the wings watching these, these wonderful artists. And, um, yeah, that was absolutely cementing my path. There was no denying. Just being in the theatre, being surrounded by it all, I'm going, yeah, I'm, I'm loving this. But Absolutely. You also had to go and do some variety stuff too, didn't you? When did some? Yes, yeah, so I, I was doing some clubs as well because my mum and dad, um, I don't think they can hear me, but <laughs> I had to have an act. Got to have an act. Their philosophy was. That was their philosophy. You've got to have an act. Mm. So, so yeah, so I, and clubs were, were, were big in the, in the 80s and so I would go off and, and do my, my variety spot. I went I went once and saw him here is at Newtown Leagues Club was it? RSL. The Jets and halfway through the act there was a big fight on the on the dance floor <laughs> like some of the clubs were really tough, tough. so uh, so I apologised to the audience after the song I think I was singing reminiscing from the Little River Band <laughs> and um, I apologised that I'd that I had my family in that night, you know, they, they won't behave that badly again, I promise you. So, so moments yeah. like that, yeah. But that's, you know, doing variety and doing the clubs was, was great because... Great training. Great training ground. Like if, you can, if you can survive doing the, the, the clubs in, in Sydney at that time, yeah, you can work anywhere because, you know, you had to get dressed in the toilet and you're on and you had to talk your music through with musicians who you'd never met and you're on. That, that you just you're on you just and you also met like we were doing a, a club gig once up on the central coast and when Wayne not as much now but like when Wayne was doing a few clubs I'd come on and do a stand up comedy section right halfway towards the end of it anyway I'd finished and Lucky Grills was in he was going on after us right so we come off stage and Lucky comes in there. Oh, it was, it was, was interval great. isn't yeah, it yeah interval that's right yeah. mind you the show was like at 10 o'clock on a Sunday morning and then um, he came and went, oh, that was great. Now, Katie, have you heard this one about? And he starts telling us all so his he, gags he and the, we're laughing. Yeah, he had some lovely material he wanted lovely to give you. Lovely material. He's yeah. complete in his check suit with his banjo ready to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's telling this gag and it's quite a long gag and he's telling it and you can hear the um, MC on stage going, and now, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to start our second and act. The band's fired up. This man's quite amazing and he's worked all over. And he's going, yeah, and then the person said to and we're lucky, we think you're on. You're on. I'm on. I'm on. <laughs> and he ran. And just did that. Hey, and he was on. Literally. <laughs> it was just so fabulous. Like, you know what I mean? They are a vintage. I mean, mum and dad would have told you that, but they, they could handle and, you know, deal with any situation. Yeah. You're yeah. on. <laughs> Sawdust in their veins. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. But, you know, getting back to your question, yeah, being backstage was, it was a big advantage. A big advantage. And, um, and dressing on the dresser. Yes. I actually became props master. Right. Yeah, they gave me, they uh, they being the beautiful Pat Boggs and uh, Freddie Gibson and my boss at the time, Steve uh, Winden, who um, was our head mechanist, uh, wanted me, you know, 40 hour a week to, to work at the Theatre Royal. So I, I 
took the job up until that point i was like permanent casual so i was flying and floor mech and all of that stuff so on the dresser yeah with ruth kraken all and um uh, warren, mitchell. warren mitchell gordon chater and yeah with a working of personalities too yeah. oh yeah yeah Tell very the story, different you? Tell well yeah i um there were the days when you would do shows monday to saturday night and there was a public holiday on a monday so um warren mitchell used to have a hip flask and but it was a his character as a prop or well, as a prop right yeah so but the hip, hip flask was really just a small bottle of scotch that his character obviously had a little bit of a you know a drinking uh, situation so he made sure that it was um dry ginger ale but it could not be fizzy so it had to be literally flat so what i had to do was round the props table in the props room I would over over the day off pour all this ginger ale in bottles and glasses and cylinders anything I could find just to let it be flat over the weekend and that would see me through the week and just pour it in his little bottle of scotch give it to him at the five minute call and he'd walk on and do the play well it was a public holiday on the Monday and I'd completely forgotten I'm 17 at this time I'd completely forgotten to buy the ginger ale now it's Monday afternoon I've gone in there and gone oh I've completely forgotten I would have the ginger ale there it's not there then now it's public holiday nothing's open and we're talking you know 1981 so I run all the way down to Circular Quay from the Theatre Royal to the pub down there to get ginger ale and then I run all the way back and I'm shaking it like madly <laughs> to try and fizz it and trying to get it to go flat. Then when I got back to the theatre, it's like five in the afternoon. I'm shaking it. I'm running around. You know, Steve's going, what's wrong, mate? And I said, well, I, I forgot to get this. And he said, oh, well, Warren's not going to be pleased, is he? Anyway, it's getting closer to showtime. I couldn't get this flat. And he would check every night. He'd shake it and he would check there's no bubbles in it and then go on stage. Well, this night there were bubbles in it. He held the curtain. No. Yeah, held the, the curtain because of the bubbles. He said, there's bubbles. Rain. Showed the stage manager and said, oh, I'd say, okay, Warren, it'd be... No, 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 I'm not going on. Oh. So I'm like, oh. And I knew, I knew it was coming. So um, stage manager, assistant stage manager, gave it back to me. Wayne, you need to fix this. Can you give us uh, a sample without the bubbles? Okay, so I go into the back end of the props room. I know I can't do anything because it's just two bottles of ginger ale. It's the same bottles. <laughs> so I just try and... For 10, I water it down. I think I'll put water in it. That's what I'll do. And then take it back. It's not, the colour's not right because I've watered it down. So I go back. Now it's like five after eight, probably almost 10 past eight. And um, anyway, I gave it third time. They normally say third time lucky. Well, it was. He went on, but he was not a happy camper. So um, he let me know at the end of the show that he was, uh, he was upset about the fact that there were bubbles. That's Yeah. But um, but he did apologise to me uh, at the end of the season, and uh, he said um, the reason why I had a go at you is because uh, you'll never forget that moment. You'll never do it again, and that's how you learn. Yeah, and I well, did. That was sort of got a point, hasn't yeah. he? He does. he does. He did have a point, and uh, he threw a lovely uh, party for everybody yeah. at, the, at the end of the season, and invited you know the props master at the time, yeah. seventeen, and uh, all the crew and and everybody, and yeah, he was. Um, he was tough, Warren Mitchell, but they're the people that you learn from. Mm. And I, to this day, over 40 years ago, I still remember that story as if, you know, it was yesterday. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> but Ruth Cracknell, 
completely, you know, the opposite. She was the most beautiful lady. And Gordon Chater, yeah, what a wonderful actor, you know, quite an eccentric man. But, yeah, to, again, to stand in the wings and watch, you know, performers of, of, of incredible, you know, expertise yeah. uh, was just, yeah, you don't learn that. That's a gift, you know. isn't it? Yeah, yeah. absolute gift. Yeah, yeah. Um, Katie, uh, moving from a dancer to being a stand-up comedian, mm. what what drove you there? Well, um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I realised when I was doing Jerry's Girls that uh, I didn't want to be waiting for the phone to call, uh, phone to ring, and I I think what happened also we had our son Alexander, and I thought at that point okay I've got to be more in control of my own destiny, and it's something that I always kind of leant towards being funny. So, um, yeah, I I decided to go and do stand-up. So I, at the time, it was very much a boys' club. I used to go to Hell Park uh, open mic and comedy store open mic, and I'd go, I'd go for like six weeks, and then they might let me on for one week. And then, you know, I mean, you've got to really kind of show that you're, you're worth and you're hanging in there. And it was, I mean, Wayne was fantastic. He helped me write it and, and directed me through it and... It was a great experience and I still enjoy it. I only said the other day, maybe I should go back now as, you know, a mum and I could walk in and just say, I'm your worst nightmare. I'm like your mum on stage, you know, like you, yeah. <laughs> there's got to be a lot of material there. Yeah. So, yeah, but I, um, I didn't, ex- it wasn't something that I thought I want to be doing stand up when I grew up, but it's something that evolved and I enjoyed doing it and it gave me, I realised that once you die on stage, there's life after death. And once you know that, you have a lot of power. So again, it's like Wayne, whatever goes on, it doesn't matter. You know what I mean? You'll, you'll work your way through it. So yeah, it was an interesting experience. And Katie, was fa- you were fabulous at it too. I mean, you did the, the Belvoir... Um, oh, Women's Comedy. Women's Comedy Festival. Yeah. You did the Melbourne Comedy Festival. Yeah. Like you were really starting to sort of get into the circuit. But yeah. as Katie said, it was a bit of a boys club. But you... You really paved your way, but you were in there when Kitty Flanagan was starting out. Yeah, and yeah, and Julia. Julie Morris. Morris. Morris yeah, yeah, yeah. Katie was yeah, there. Yeah, they you were know. all there. I kind of also started doing more character comedy, which I found more fun, really, yeah, in a way, because yeah. you could sort of just all that stuff that you do have with training with theatre and all your acting and silliness you can take on stage. So, yeah. Mm, Who were your comic heroes? Oh, Lucille Ball. Right, yeah. That's um, great. And, oh, Bette Midler. I'm yeah. just the ultimate Bette Midler fan. I remember looking at her and thinking, oh, my God, like, she's not amazingly attractive, but everyone loves her, so maybe I could be the same. Like, <laughs> you know, I mean, she's just, yeah. So, people like that. Hmm. Um, Wayne, it's a treat to, what's well, it's a, a treat to talk to both of you, but um, mm-hmm. in 1982, um, I grew up in the country, Victoria, year 10, they took us down to Melbourne on an excursion to see a musical called Barnum. So that was the very first musical I ever saw. That was oh, my, wow. my gateway drug into this, <laughs> this, this the showbiz, uh, show queen, musical theatre world. Um, and look, that, that was left such an impression that still lasts today. It's, it's amazing to sort of see Reg and yeah. Dave McFarlane and, mm. and your Tom Thumb. And yeah. It was just magic to, mm. you know, you think you know, a, a kid who'd never seen anything like that before. Mm. It just, um, that was the hook. Yeah. Was, it's a wonderful visual show, wasn't it? Oh, like yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. it was visually spe- spectacular and wonderful music, Psy Coleman. Um, 
yeah, look at you know to to get the opportunity to to be a part of that show and part of that production with Biog Lee. Um, and the lovely thing about Barnum is, is it brought people together from different aspects of the business. Like there were some circus people that we had come in. We had some actor actors. We had some you know opera singers. We it really brought in acrobat dancers and mm. but we all came together because we would do circus training every morning for the first three hours when we were in Adelaide rehearsing. So you know it was a melting pot of different people from different as- aspects of the business. Um, you know, suddenly getting on a teeter board or getting on the world ball and or juggling or riding a unicycle, and we were learning all these skills together, which was fantastic. Obviously, I you know I had the acrobatic skills, and it was a really wonderful experience, particularly for me being my first yeah. Australian production touring show. Um, and like you said, it was Peter. It was a uh, it was just a wonderful. Um, show to be a part of because you know Cy Coleman's music is is great. Mm. wonderful a, a composer who every show he writes is yeah. so different in the sound mm. yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah quite remarkable and we, he, I got to meet Cy and his, oh. his wife he came out to Melbourne and uh, yeah you know to, to, to meet somebody like like him uh, was, was incredibly special obviously Bayork who was in the original chorus line had a lot of contacts and, and a lot of people she, and she had not done um, Barnum before as a director choreographer so it was her first time out and I don't think um, I remember hearing at the time that they weren't they being you know the people who had produced it on Broadway in London um, were not keen for kind of bio to, to do it so they really Joe Layton the director yeah that's Broadway, right think, yeah. so they hadn't um, really given her a lot of information or a lot of help on on the um, on the show itself, so I think she went and saw it quite a few times and on Broadway and had <laughs> to just do notes. it by memory, you know. <laughs> a bit like what Poundy used to do with J.C. Williamson. Yeah. That's exactly right. She used to go over and do that, didn't she? Yeah. Write it all down. That's right. Write it all down and and, and come out and do it. But uh, yeah, great. Yeah, great piece of theatre. Um, and working with Reg, like Reg is. Reg's arrival on stage at the very end, you know, when he comes in on the flying fox. That's from, right. From the gods. Was, yeah. Particularly with the Regent in Sydney, because the old Regent in Sydney was huge theatre. Mm. And he, he'd come in from the dress circle, which was a long way up. And uh, I think even Reg at first was like, really? Do you want me to come in from there? But yeah, he... Um, well, he yeah. talks about running up all those stairs That's and, right. and changing his costume as he's running. That's right. The dress yeah. following him. That's right. Wow. And, uh, and we'd be singing, you know, the finale section and, and having to, you know, drag it out, particularly in Sydney. But yeah, he... Um, yeah, look, working with Reg... I hadn't seen Reg's shows leading up to, so I Betty didn't know Blockbuster and all exactly. That, yeah, so I, yeah. I knew of Reg, but I didn't. I hadn't seen you know Reg's work. So after we did Barnum, he invited myself uh, and a few other performers to go and see his production of Sacred Cow Two, which he was going to take to New York and London, um, and I think the Adelaide Festival at the time, Robbo and Kevin Earl uh, were co-producing it with Reg to take it overseas. So I got the opportunity to see Reg do what Reg does. And uh, yeah, <laughs> it was certainly, you know, right down the other end of the spectrum of Barnum. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, what a talent. What a, an incredibly creative man yeah. he is and, you know, and a showman. Have you had the opportunity to work together much in musicals? Oh, a few times, yeah, we have, haven't we? Yeah. We, well, we did West Side together. 
We Rick- did Guys and Dolls together. That's the, right, with Ricky May and Nancy oh, that Hayes. That one, one, Peter Adams and yeah, that's Peter right. Adams, yeah. John McTernan and yeah, mm. Nancy and yeah, uh, Anthony Warlow's first. Angela Ayres. Angela yeah, Ayres. Yeah. Uh, we did Chicago together. That's right, the first reincarnation this time around of yep. Chicago. And then Singing the Rain. Right. Yeah. That, was that, that that first Chicago with Caroline Chelsea? That's right. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay, right. Then the new one. Yeah. yeah. That was 98. Concert version, or well, yeah, they called it a concert version. It was right. much more than that, of course. Yes, it was. It was. But it, it came was. out of a concert version. Yeah, yeah. In, in, the, New York. in New York. Yeah. 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 But it was great yeah. because we had all the American creatives come out and teach us the and show. And Ranking. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Hail. She came out. Yeah. Hail and Ranking. <laughs> and she'd get tell us stories like. And now Mr. Fossey would say, we're going to do the Fellini Circle. And we're like, oh my God, the Fellini Circle, this is going to be amazing. And it's like going on for a couple of days because it's cell block tango at the end of it. You do the Fellini Circle. We're like, oh my God. And then when they Did got... you know what the Fellini Circle no, you know no, is? No, it just sounds no. great. It, it sounds, sounds amazing. But she built it up over a couple yeah. of days. Didn't and she? they just run around the chairs and just act wild. And that, that's the Fellini Circle. All right. Like, oh, okay. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it was amazing to... Great production, sing. yeah. Yeah, 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 it was. Yeah, interesting production too. You know what I mean? Like something about Chicago, about um, Fosse um, pitting those two women, his lover and wife, together, and that scenario still goes down every time the show's on. There's there's issues between those two roles. I think. Yeah, yeah. You know, a bit of angst, a bit of yeah, and it's the way it's been put together. You know, for those two women to show their their best as they travel through their stories so yeah but we had a good time didn't we and our son alexander was by then he was at Five, school think, but he yeah. came traveling with us the whole time and um when we were in because i used to swing in chicago right. and i wasn't on all the time which was great i shouldn't say that but no, when you're oh, a mom it's no, very that's handy right, that's right. Yeah, yeah. i was in the green room or whatever and they'd say oh katie come on you've got to be on i'm like oh no so if it was saturday zam was used to they used to let us keep Zan, keep him, have him in the green room with us. So if I was on for a show, beautiful lady at the stage door, I forget her name, she would take him round, they'd have a reserved seat for Zan in the front row. Every Sunday he'd come and watch the Yeah, he'd sit and watch the magnate and he'd tell I'm hungry. So he'd do everything in reverse. He'd do all all the fan routines with the girls and then he'd do Wayne's judge routine with the tongue. He'd do it all. And he'd, um, I'd pack him a little lunch, and sometimes there'd be chips in that, in the lunchbox. I'd say, now, don't open that during the Roxy medley, um, monologue, whatever you do. And I'd be there on that chair looking, going, don't open them. And he'd be going, oh, I'm bored now, I want to open the chips. <laughs> and all of a sudden, all these people like Caroline, and they'd all come out performing to Zan. What's he gonna, what's he gonna look like? What's he gonna say? So. It was fun having him around. He was kind of our little mascot. He was great. He, he, he sort of gelled with the cast together, which is great, and the musicians and everybody. Because yeah. at the beautiful match before it's been renovated as mm. we know it now. But yeah, he'd, the, he'd be Evelyn, was her name. Evelyn, she was yeah. put Zan front row centre on the aisle, and he'd sit there and, and watch the show every Sunday afternoon. And he did that for six months. Yeah. It was, it was great. Now, of course, with. Um, with the way things are, you can't have kids in the in the theatre unless they're properly, you know, Unaccompled. you've got to have a chaperone. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. But the time back then, it was kind of like a family environment and everybody was so wonderful to Zan. They really treated him. And the same in Singing the Rain, David Atkins, he, he was actually in the show by the time we got to Melbourne. So 
he'd um, come on, he came on tour with us for the whole... Did you have season. a trunk for him to sleep in? <laughs> almost. Like, like almost. his dad? <laughs> he used to sleep in a trunk, apparently. Did, yes, did Mum and Dad tell yeah, you? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were hoping for a golfer, weren't we? Probably all money. Well, yeah. But, yeah, no, he, um, he came on tour, but, yeah, he was in the show singing the rain right through Asia and Australia. You are my lucky star I saw you from afar Two lovely eyes at me They were gleaming Beaming I was starstruck For this poor mortal You are my lucky Supposes he toses a rose but Moses supposes erroneously. But Moses he noses he toses on roses as Moses supposes he toses to be. Moses supposes he toses on roses. Moses supposes erroneously. But Moses knows his toses are roses as Moses supposes he toses to be. A roses, a roses, a roses, a roses, a roses. What Moses supposes he toses couldn't be a lily or a daffy daffy dilly. I gotta be a rose cause it rhymes with most. Singing in the rain What a glorious feeling I'm happy again I'm laughing at clouds So dark up above The sun's in my heart And I'm ready for love Let the stormy clouds chase Everyone from the place 
Come on, come on, come on. I've got that smile on my face. I walk down the lane with a happy refrain. Cause we're singing, laughing in the rain. film studio <laughs> yes, that's, right. that's right that's right it's actually um yeah look uh, david when he directed and choreographed the show he wanted to keep it very much to the the, the movie as as it, as we all remember it so uh to do make him laugh yeah you're right to do make him laugh. that's was, one of the most iconic dance sequences in in film isn't yeah. it i think it's one of the yeah i agree i think it's probably one of the the, the best slapstick physical comic routines ever captured on film i mean Donald O'Connor, obviously he came from a vaudeville family background and he learned all the skills. So I guess there was a bit of similarity there, particularly with my dad. Um, but to do that routine, yeah, you, you could not do that routine without running up the wall. So fortunately I had the acrobatic skills, but I'd not ever run up the wall before. So I spoke to dad about it and he helped me and we ended up getting a wall made and I just trained. I just trained myself to do that that run up the wall for um, for probably about three months out before starting rehearsals. And I, because I said, yeah, it's the old cliche, you know, in chorus line, you know, um, basically, you know, what do you want me to do? Yeah, I can do it. I can do anything. So when <laughs> I was asked, David said, oh, you can run up the wall. I said, yeah, 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 I can run up the wall. Well, I couldn't, but <laughs> I just wanted that role so much that I just went away and taught myself to, with the help of my dad, but it was and, a uh, full-on show, wasn't it? Like, we all lived it for two years. And, yeah. You know... From the time you wake up um, to do that show, Todd and I particularly, it was... Um, physically, it was a, such a demanding show to do. So you thought... Um, what, and then for me, it was make them laugh, and then Todd and I would do Moses, Supposes together, and then Todd in the second act did that whole ballet section routine. So physically, you know, he and I were pretty damn fit at the time but as Katie was saying like from the time we woke up in the morning you know it was all about doing the show that night or the matinee. How do, how do you heal yourself during the day? Ice baths or, or um, how do you take care of yourself? 
Yeah, look, I couldn't do too much, to be honest with you, you know, and particularly, you know, Zan was young at the time, he was eight, yeah. so he'd want to get out and about and do things. And You don't eat a lot, like you'd have breakfast and then you'd have like something light around three o'clock and then maybe baked beans or something and then lot, you lived on baked beans in Asia. And, yeah. And then something like a more of a meal when we got home at night. But yeah, we really only went from the Econ to the theatre and we went saw a few things, but yeah, it does... You do live it. You do totally yeah, so live it. Yes, something audiences don't realise or appreciate mm. that, do they? That mm. it is a, mm. a full-time investment, yeah. really. You know, that um, yeah. it might be a, a two and a half hour show, but it's a day of preparation to do that show. Yeah, yeah exactly totally, right. totally. Yeah. And particularly with a show like that, the physicality of, of that show. Yeah, you, as I said, you wake up in the morning and your diet and everything, your day is planned around doing the show that night and just not trying to exert too much energy but also not trying to be too tired as well you know to, to make sure you're for the time wrong, it's like yeah. I guess it'd be like you know Kathy Freeman it, it's yep, working your yep. way to to that point of where she's going to be in the final the 400 meter and at that moment in time she's 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 in the moment she's there she's physically right mentally right and that we had to do that eight times a week did you ever have any sort of stage fright or did you get to think, I can't do this tonight? No, I didn't have... <laughs> Only to me. <laughs> Only to you. <laughs> you pop it all. Yeah, yeah. Because it, it, it must be a psychological game also to prepare yourself to do that. Yeah. Every night. I think probably at the beginning, Peter, particularly with... Probably in rehearsals of doing the run up the wall the first time, learning the routine and David, you know, showing the routine and then me adding some other little bits that I could do the hop on the bum and a few other tricks that have been passed on to me uh, that obviously wasn't in the original choreography but it's just the only time I probably have a moment is where I know I'm now going to run up a wall so it'd be that moment of stopping and the audience getting the reaction waiting for the reaction and the laugh and the, the applause and going okay now and they're going is he going to run up the wall and then turning around facing the wall and going yep here I go that that was probably no real doubt because I knew I could do it um, in the but it was probably in the beginning during rehearsals and during and just getting my show fitness up mm. to a point of where I just knew that I was able to do it every time and not thinking I'm going to collapse. Didn't David know, make you used to have to do each routine twice at the end of the rehearsal? That's yeah. right. So he'd send everyone he'd send everyone Except home for at Wayne six. And Todd. And Todd and I would have to run all our routines twice. Um, just to get your fit. Just to get show yeah, fit, yeah. yeah. And, and I tell you what, it worked. You know, it, it did work, as, as tough and as painful it was. But, yeah, it did, it did work. But the, the show itself was, you know, again, a, a, an iconic movie, an iconic piece. Yeah, you know, when you're in the moment like that, you, you try and enjoy every moment. And I think for all of us, when we did the finale and it rains on stage, no, the joy that special. it brings is mm. quite amazing. Mm. Not only for the audience, but for us as performers to be standing there in yellow raincoats and it literally raining on stage. Because David had brought everybody across, the, all the technical people that had been involved with the Sydney Olympics. Right. And um, in order to make all that work, you know, he, he brought out all that expertise with him. So... And, you know, David doesn't do anything by halves. No. And no. Uh, it, it was important to him that it rained during 
the title song Singing in the Rain for Todd and that it rained in the finale with, with all of us on stage. So, yeah, we're very lucky to be a part of that production. Did you catch any colds? No, because the water was, it was, warm. Uh, was warm. Warm water, great. Yeah, it used yeah. to be warm. It would be heated yeah. up the back and then it would go down uh, this big trough that travelled down this truck and taken back to the tanks uh, and it would be um, reconditioned and everything again and then warmed up and ready for the next show. And it only happened once that it didn't rain. Yeah, the whole Remember time that? we did it. Throughout Asia and Australia. Yeah. It was only once, wasn't and it? it was only once when David had the wireless come to see the show about uh, producing it. Right. Which was really amazing. It was a Wednesday matinee, I'll never forget it. it. Was really and David came in and, you know, David's pretty cool, but he was like, you know, it, this is a special one today because we've got, you know, big producers in that hopefully maybe we could take this production overseas. So, and, okay, David, yeah, we'll do what we normally do and, you know, we'll give it. 110 percent and it didn't rain and it didn't rain singing in the drain <laughs> literally <laughs> and it was that was the only time that effect didn't work and the wise oh. were in oh. yeah surely they can come back Fran. Oh, yeah Fran. i don't know Fran and barry of course you would have worked with them before in chicago we did and yeah, we yeah, met we them did. yeah can yeah. tell a great story with Fran. it was opening night is that the opening, opening night, night in melbourne yeah. so opening night in melbourne and um France backstage, you know, they gave us these beautiful little gold stars, like the paperweights, but really very stylish and gorgeous. And um, everyone's very excited. Opening night, she's going through the ensemble dressing room going, good luck, good luck, good luck. And then she turns and goes to walk up the stairs. And she's... Remember, you're all in black. I know. So yeah. we're all in black, obviously, you know, yeah, Chicago. But... And she's in this most divine white, beautiful suit, like just so elegant, stunning, obviously cost so much money she just turned you thank you thank you and then walked almost walked away and i went fran how sensible of you you're not wearing black and she turned and went what do you think i am stupid and then walked off again it was just like <laughs> oh my god she was just fantastic so new york jewish showbiz i yes. loved it and she'd been to a few opening nights of chicago yeah. that's right yeah. by then yeah. Yeah. yeah and it's still going pamela anderson's playing roxy now is she really she just opened yeah Pa yeah. Pamela, Anderson, Pamela Anderson, as in Tommy and Pamela. Yes, right. absolutely. Where okay. in New York? In New York, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Really? Anybody can have a go. But um, as producers, they're very, very clever, aren't they? Yeah, they are. Uh, absolutely. Have that they um, are. celebrity casting on and on yeah. to bring back audiences again and again. Yeah, yeah. And they've really got that sort of niche, haven't they? Like they, they produce a certain particular musical, don't they? They don't mm. sort of go too... The wisers they seem to go with the classics and enjoy. Well, they've, they've done, yeah, very well out of Chicago. It's been yeah. very and there's successful. There's no set. There's not much production to it. No, no, really. exactly. You know, no. Very, very smart to have invested in that. Mm. One costume for each cast member. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <It's just getting laughs> easy. <laughs> easy. That's easy. what we need. Yeah. Is producing easy? Because uh, the two of you have been doing a bit of that. It certainly hasn't been Recently. in the last two years. It's been it's tough, been... hasn't it, with COVID? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah we actually did our um, cabaret show, Spiegelesque, twice at Riverside Theatre, and both times we were caught by Delta halfway through. First time, And then yeah. Omi came second time. We got through the second time, but it was kind of like, you see those ticket sales, and then all of a sudden it goes, yeah. We haven't, quite, um, we haven't quite worked out we need investors. That's, you know, we need to build it like a business. We need someone to come and go, I'm a business person. I love show business. Let's 
you know, but we try and do it ourselves, which is great because we get out and do it. Um, we've learned a lot, uh, surprisingly, and challenged ourselves a lot. Um, now we sit down and talk to people about producing, you go, oh, actually, we we've really do know quite a bit about it. And we do independent produce. We don't, we have um, had funding through Playing Australia a couple of times, but we don't do that a lot because often our shows are bigger than two-handers and, you know, they're sort of more... Well, Spigolesque, you had a cast of mm. seven, was it? Yeah, that's yeah. right, yeah. So it's hard with a, with a house of only 250 people max. It's hard to sort of really bring that in. So, but... We look. We did Spiegelesque up at Glen Street for two years. In a sort of, we went there for four weeks and ended up there almost two years, and got a chance to really develop it. Got a chance to really hone all our skills with it, mm. and just regular work for people. And yeah. at the end of the day, that's how you learn. And it's what all those beautiful young people are missing. You know, they just want to book the gig and do the gigs. So, you know, sometimes we kind of go. We have had occasions where we've worked and we actually don't earn money ourselves and that's not good no. <laughs> what but, I did for love that's right, that's right. <laughs> Absolutely. but hopefully you know we, we just keep pushing through don't we Wayne yeah well I mean Jive Junkies was our first sort of endeavour of really touring Australia with yeah. the show and yeah. that was back in 99 yeah and playing Australia we got and we took that to Ember Fringe we took it to Ember Fringe and got great reviews and yeah. to this day we still haven't been paid our box office as we speak to you but that's another fringe. issue. <laughs> and I've got right. over that. <laughs> in Edinburgh. Yeah. yeah. We signed off on it. And this is when you used to get faxes, you know. And six weeks later, I got a fax going. So our show in the venue had actually made good money. And that was money off our mortgage. So the plan was to get the money and put it back, you yeah. know. Yeah. And, um, but there was other shows around us that didn't make money. So what happens in that situation is the $2 company owned by you know set up for the fringe basically pay all the crew because obviously they need the crew to come back next year next year next year and ourselves and i think it was lady salsa didn't get the box offices did they and they were the two shows that mm. made money but no. they, they mm. yeah, ended up paying everyone else so but. then we um oh i i tried to get onto equity in england and tried to but it was just too hard so just you know it's a long way away Edinburgh. It is. When they owe your money. But you can't just go around the block and... (laughs) No, but great experience. Great great experience. Yeah. But we've... um, Actually, when we first started mentoring, we went to David... I mean, sorry, when we first started producing, we contacted David Atkins and asked if he could mentor, particularly myself, through it. And he was fantastic. He really helped us get Candyman, which was our big sort of theatre show, first off the ground. Um, And I learnt from his marketing people, learnt from his ticketing people... Also to getting from Pat Boggs and all these amazing people, again, that have sort of built, like Pat built systems that now Ticketmaster use and, you know what I mean, like she changed the whole business. And, um, yeah, so learning from those people was a really great experience and you kind of continuing it on. I think but it's a bit like Wayne was talking about um, when you perform or when you go to auditions and you start to get knocked back you've got to be very careful that that doesn't just wear you down and you start to get negative about it and start to think that it's not going to work. you really got to try and revitalise yourself and pretend you're still young again and go, no, we can do it. We can put everything on the line again. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah. 
<laughs> crazy, I know. Because <laughs> it's it's yes, it's uh, the creative side, but it's the business side as well, isn't it? Mm. You might you might have a product, but you've then got to sell it. You've that's to, it. You've got to market it, yeah. and that comes with its own costs. Yeah. yeah, and that's changed a lot because of the internet. Like when we first started with Candyman. You could literally put uh, an ad in the paper on Sunday and you'd see the spike of ticket sales on the Monday. But now people don't buy no. early. I, I miss so. those days of Spectrum on yeah, the weekend and going, what's right. on in what's Sydney? On? Yeah. Yeah. Right. You do, exactly. don't you? And even party bookers. Like we would oh, organise, yeah. you know, big... And David Group was bookers. very big at that, yeah. Singing in the Rain. Like he had Bill Collins, who was our MC, and we toured the country doing that in each and city. Those group bookers, what they used to do is they'd have those big launches... And that would basically almost pay for pre-production. So that would see them all the way through to opening. And then they were... So not to have that... Um, it's like starting a shop and not having enough in the kitty for the first six months. You yeah, know what I mean? You've yeah. got to have that cash flow. So all those things, yeah, you have to it's take It's a bit scarier, account. I think, now to produce because the, the internet now allows people to, to do it all last minute. Mm. And, you know, yeah. which, which is great. It, the, the facility is fantastic that you can go... You know, oh, look, it's four o'clock. Why don't we go and see something tonight? Yeah. Get online, bang, there it is on your phone, arrive. Yeah. But as a producer, you know, it's very hard to sort of project. Yes, yes. What's as happening? a consumer, it's so more convenient. It um, is. I suppose those days going and lining up at Bass. Yeah, yeah. that's right. <laughs> and where can more, I sit? That's oh, right. It's more <laughs> fractured now, isn't it? Like you can't just funnel your... I think you can't funnel. The only way you can funnel is through social media. Mm. That's really the only funnel that, and you, and of course you can um, bear down and work out demographics and who you want to hit and just hope that it does. Um, that's why it's also good to sit, if you can sit in a smaller venue for a while, because you will build just that word of mouth. Yeah. And look, we um, aren't abashed and stand there and say, please, you know, put us all over social media because it's the best best marketing yeah. that we can get it's a powerful mm. tool now mm. Mm. and doesn't cost as much no no that's word where it's leveled out it's yeah. A new, yeah. The new word yeah. of mouth yeah yeah because yeah. yeah. in years gone by like we've spent hundreds of thousands on marketing campaigns whereas yeah you can really you don't have to spend that amount anymore so yeah. mm, it's good Great. Mm. now are either of you um, superstitious in the theater in yeah you know, whistling in the dressing yes, room. Yes, yes, very much do you so. you do all that? Yeah, mm. yeah. yeah. You I, don't mention the play? No. The Scottish and, play? Yeah. Mm. Um, I know my mum also. Mum mentioned to me about you're not wearing green on stage. Yeah, but I've put new green. tap shoes on the dressing room table. Mm. Um, Dad particularly is, is quiet, particularly the whistling backstage. But you, Katie and I, even just recently, you know, we directed and choreographed We'll Rock You in Toowoomba. Um yeah, we certainly passed on the uh, no whistling backstage and 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 other superstitions that young people are not aware of, and that's you know. It is a sacred place, isn't it? Yeah, and it is. Yeah, I believe there's spirits there. There's yep. you know, it's got an energy about it, so you need to respect that energy and yeah, enjoy it. But and also, I think just because of what you do, especially when you're doing a long run, the regularity of it, it's important that that regularity is in tune off stage like you you warm up at the same time you yep. do kind of the same warm up you do boom 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 it's boom, a discipline you? isn't it mm. yes it is a discipline do you read reviews <laughs> oh sorry i didn't mean to <laughs> only good ones <laughs> <laughs> only the good well ones. i always ask this question and you know some people do some people don't but you know, 
I don't believe it. Everyone reads them, I think. You do believe they do? Yeah, everyone believe, reads reviews. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah totally. And, but you take from them what you want to take from them. That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's one yeah. person's opinion. That's right. It yeah. is only one person's opinion. But yeah. But when they're good reviews, they're, the opinion's so much better. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. They're great people. Absolutely. They know their stuff. Exactly, exactly. That's what's interesting, though, too, is now people can be reviewing and they aren't reviewers per se. They're just, you know, someone with a blog and they're reviewing. So, But they're all fabulous. I love reviewers. Mm. <laughs> 40 years down the track, do you still get nervous? Yeah. 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 I think that's important. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it is. You've got to be in control of it, but... It's interesting because when I first started, I didn't really have any nerves, but then I fell over a few times, literally. <laughs> then I started to get a few nerves, but then I kind of go, no, no, you've just got to go back to that being free. But a bit of nerves is good. Yeah, I think it's important to be nervous. I think it's, it, it allows you to focus. But again, as Katie said, you know, you've just got to learn to, you know... Not let it dictate you. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, going back to what we spoke about earlier in the interviews, that... Uh, as, as you get older too, I think, you know, you, those nerves can come forward and come to... So you've just got to learn to really trust what you have learnt and your experience and allow all that to come forward. Uh, that's something I have to constantly remind myself of and Katie reminds me of as I do her as well in the producing. It's just, you know, we've we've done this before. We're okay. We, you know, we've just got to... You keep do have to trust it. You do yeah. have to walk off the cliff and fly, don't you? Like, you've yeah. just got to go. Sometimes you've got to push them off the cliff. Like, sometimes I've nurtured Wayne, like when we'll do Candyman, which is a ginormous show for him. Nurture, nurture, nurture. And it gets to, like, that beginner's call, and I go, you know, chookers, and I see you at the other end because ultimately he's the only one that can walk out there and yeah. do what you've got to do. So, yeah. Interesting. What's, yeah. What's your favourite part of the theatre? Oh, well, it's always the stage. Yeah. Looking out at an empty theatre is quite remarkable. Yeah. Um, we were saying how when we were up in Toowoomba, we went to that beautiful Empire Theatre and I walked in and cried because it's just so beautiful, you know. But, yeah, that's pretty special. Yeah, I agree. I think the stage... I think would, any part of the theatre is, is, is special um, because... It encapsulates, it creates magic. And it doesn't matter where we are in the world. You walk into a theatre, it's, it's still a theatre. Yeah. It, 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 it creates mystique. It, you know, it creates, we allow to see talent. It, it's, it, it, there's just something about a theatre that allows escapism. Yeah, you know, and, and it is. And, you know, we try and impress this, which was what... In, was in you know the impression that was given to us that you know the, the, to walk to have to be given the privilege to, to walk into a theatre, particularly on stage, is really special. Really special, and, and that's why we respect and it. And there's something beautiful about having nothing on that stage and just that theatre. You know what I mean? Like bare. It's just being stripped back, and that's it. So that's where the magic really and is. And full of possibilities and potential. And that's right. Yeah. Totally, that's right. totally. That's right. I know it's something I, I, I I'm probably goosebumps. <laughs> cherish <laughs> more now that I, you know, when if I am in a show, like I did Anything Goes in 2015, and just at the end of warm-up and when everyone's left, I would just stand on stage and just look out into the printy 
and you know you, you think of all the shows that have gone before you history, all the performers yeah. all the history all the musicians and those the, and those schoolboys that have come in from the country exactly yeah that's mm. what theater does mm. yeah that's what our business does mm. yeah. yeah and you can get really caught up with your own ego and going i haven't got any work rah, 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 rah. then you do a show and people will line up and go oh my god that's amazing or you know I haven't, my husband was sick and I haven't been out for 12 months and here we are and, and you go, oh, yeah, you're making a difference, you know? Yeah, yeah. and it's good. sometimes you don't realise the impact that we yeah. as artists have, mm. you know. Um, and I tell you what, you know, during COVID, um, it was really special to get back on stage again as an artist. Yeah. Uh, it really reminded us of how special it is, mm. is didn't it, mm. to get back into a, a theatre. It's what you do ultimately. When we have no work, we think, oh, maybe we can go and <laughs> do something else. Like, it's always the catch cry, isn't it? You know, I should get an office job. Maybe I could go produce in another theatre or do something different. But it's ultimately, a, it's what you do. You perform, you know. Yeah. So, it's all mm. we know. It's all I know. Mm. What a beautiful way to finish. Uh, Wayne and Katie, thank you so much for this conversation. <laughs> um, it's, it's been lovely. So um, appreciate your time and your story. No, thank, thank you, you, Peter. Peter. Thank yeah. you for allowing We've us enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah, to tell our fantastic. story. You can always keep abreast of what is happening with the entertainments presented by the Kermont family at the website www.kermontcreative.com. I was able to catch their super production of Spiegelesque as it navigated itself through the crazy COVID period. It was certainly the tonic that we all needed as we travelled that particular perilous time. The work of the Kermons is guaranteed to put a smile on your face. Thank you to Warren, Pam, Wayne and Katie for their story over the past two episodes. Don't forget that the Stages podcast will be presented live as part of the 2022 Vivid Festival in Sydney. The dates are June 2nd, 9th and 16th. Check out the Vivid website, www.vividsydney.com for ticketing. It's all free, but you do have to register for your ticket. I'm Peter Ayers. Keep well, keep warm, stay safe. And I'll catch you next time.